never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today, I have got a Jason Pike with me. And when I read his book, I had to shake my head so many times and had to sort of think, oh my God. And oh my God, because this man had so many trials and tribulations. You could say failures you could say negative words but i rather see it as opportunities to grow uh sometimes you had to make some mistakes a few times to actually really make sure that that, that is a mistake but it is what it is a man who is repeatedly getting up off the ground dusting himself off wiping the egg off his face and his book, uh, A Soldier Against All Odds, is all about that. Uh, it was a magnificent read for me. And I was I knew I had to get this guy onto my show. So Jason, welcome to my show. Stefan, I'm honored to be here. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. It's just a wild and crazy ride I had. And so uh, we can talk about any angle that you want to talk about. So. <laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, some kids are born with silver spoons in their, in their mouth and all the, the, the makings of a, a grand manner. How was your childhood? My childhood was pretty ordinary. It was not, I was not poor. I always had food, but my dad taught us, you have to survive. You might become poor one day and uh, whatever it takes, never give up. Even if you have to steal, he says, you, he says, you got to keep on going, whatever it takes to win. And so, but no, my, I, I grew up in Georgia and South Carolina and it was a ordinary childhood, uh, kind of in the countryside, but um I think my childhood pain and failure were just something that were introduced to me very early on in life. And mm. uh, regard to the failures, uh, I have three, I've got a learning uh, disability get verified three times by three different people, but I, I failed the first grade uh, English and writing and reading are my worst subjects, no doubt, even though I am a national bestseller with my book out. I can't, I can't, don't, don't, I don't, you know, I don't, that, don't worry, that's kind of crazy, but no, it really was. Um, and so school instruction was tough for me. I also, physical pain, as far as I had osteomyelitis, the left knee of my bone dissolved and went away and, and grew back. I don't, I'm not a doctor, but it, it, it came back hmm. and I responded to the antibiotics and things. And, uh, but no pain and failure were just part of uh, my, my life and my journey. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. How did your dad teach you? What did he say in response to that? Was so my he? Dad, mm. Yeah. My dad was dirt, dirt poor. We're talking about, stealing food, tying rags around your feet for shoes type of poor. I mean, it was in, in the South, they called the term white trash. It's a different level of poor. And he said, he thought we may have to become poor again. And that was a skeleton. We never did, but he, he taught us that whatever you do in life, you never quit. And he even, he went and taught us how to steal watermelons. <laughs> so, so it was whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes. <laughs> Uh, even as kids, and uh, he was a little bit of a mischievous character himself, as you probably see in the book I was, 
he said it's okay to have fun and things and and maybe kind of screw up and do pranks and things like that. And he he taught me how to shoot bottle rockets at cars when I was nine years old as well. And um, he says that's but he says whatever happens, you just even if you get in trouble, you never quit, you never give up on anything. And no, he had a good great influence on me and our the children because of uh, he, he just had this never quit attitude and he mm-hmm. says. You look at me, look at me. I was a poor, poor, poor kid. Look at me now. And so he always told us stories. He was a storyteller. Now mm. I'm a storyteller too. So, but I, he told a lot of stories. Yeah. Uh. And I think that is so important. Um, these are the, the earliest influences that are really laid down. This is how the core beliefs that are laid down. And so therefore I'm I'm in awe of this man. And for those people out there, uh, white trash, I mean, when you read the book, you you understand <laughs> that the poverty we are talking about is literally actually shitting in the woods and using leaves to wipe your bottom. Okay, he so... Have, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And don't you dare <laughs> use the wrong leaves, okay? <laughs> you quickly know that. <laughs> <laughs> leaves of three, let them be. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, I need to remember that. <laughs> no, the, uh, but the reality is, is he, he gave you that... that skill of survival uh whatever it takes you just do it now that is that is a really good survival skill no two ways around that uh survival attitude have you said that later down the line <laughs> it's certainly those kind of traits in your in your in your system where we're not really much appreciated <laughs> well yes. how how did you how did you end up in the in the military it is <laughs> well, I sort of slimed my way into the military because uh, we talked about a good question is we talked about my learning problems and we talked about my physical frailty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a logical question is how did you enter a professional organization with those issues? Because yeah, you have to do you have to you have to go through an entrance exam and uh, well, I started everything was at the bottom. It wasn't. It was the military at 17 between my, but it was the National Guard. We're, we're, this was a less than best organization. It was sort of a weekend warrior. Uh, it wasn't National Guard. They used to call us nasty girls as a term, but no, that we were a less than best type of. First, I don't know how I got in on the entrance exam. I really don't because my entrance course to college were very, very low and they sort of mimic kind of go on a, I don't know how I did that. Now for the physical problem, I lied to him. I says, I'm fine. There's no problems with me. This was way before the internet. And so I got in that way. So I was going into a less than best organization where you could slime your way in a little bit. And uh, once I got in, you see, I I went into the military because I didn't, it's either going to the military or you go to college. I definitely knew that I couldn't go to college. So I said, well, I'll just join the military. And that was what I was thinking at that Mm. time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, logical thing, survival. Um, It is, though, intriguing. I mean, there were so many rebellious things in you. I mean, (laughs) one one story in your book is that, um, that, well, two... Two boys, one of them, you are more and less interested into the same the same girl. You had your own way of dealing with that. <laughs> okay, that is. Yeah, tell us a bit about that one. <laughs> so yeah, that's jealousy. I had a lot. I was feeling jealous. I had my first when I came out of. I, I had my first girlfriend, and she decided to start dating another guy. 
I felt jealous and with the guy I got my dad's shotgun, 20 gauge shotgun, and got a bunch of handful of shells. I followed him on his way home. And when he entered the house, I wanted to put some scare into him. I sort of waited 10 minutes out in his yard and then maybe, maybe 10, yeah. And then once he left, I just unloaded a shotgun and blew out the back end of his car just to give him a warning, I guess. And so, you know, that story. Uh, and so I, it was crazy. When I look back at that thing, I said, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And I, so, but there was another event where I, I jumped him and I beat him up, a fist fight. But uh, other than that, really, that was feeling jealous of being stupid, like a stupid kid, you know? I look back at it now, I'm thinking, wow, why yeah. would I, why in the world uh, would I do stuff like that? <laughs> at that moment, uh, however, that felt right for you. And, and uh, that was the, the survivalist in you. That was the, the down out simple, okay, let's, uh, I've got a problem here, I've got a solution. No filter. <laughs> Let's just do it. <laughs> and that's interesting. And I know from your book that that basically everyone knew you had done it, but no one ever sure. said a word, and certainly no one ever 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 gave you grief about it. Now that is <laughs> that speaks about your society more than yeah. about anything else. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the the mother of the girl and the girl they saw it physically. I I went and talked to them. Well, we're still on good terms. We're cool. Uh, but yeah, but. They went and saw the car later, but didn't say anything to the boy. So the boy didn't know what happened. And the, the but the mama, and so later we got back together, and uh, her mother uh, went to knock on the door, and we were back together again. Her mother says, Hey, Jason, did you hear what happened to Robert's car? <laughs> I said, No, I don't, I don't know anything about it. It says, Somebody blew it up. I says, Oh, I don't know anything about that. This is what I think. And she knew it, but she was still happy for me to date her daughter. <laughs> so. Oh, amazing. Amazing. But I mean, now we have got already a glimpse into your practical ways of solving problems. <laughs> maybe, maybe oh. not the most acceptable. <laughs> but then again, then again, it worked for you at that time. And this is clearly the United States where, where guns are everywhere, firearms are everywhere, and where maybe such attitudes then were accepted. Nowadays, bloody hell, you've got the boys in black rappelling down helicopters and kicking kicking your ass big time. Um, uh, it is what it is. Oh, it was what it was with you. Um, so you you learning disability very early on uh, put a bit of a of a of a challenge into your life. And what a knee injury or a knee, well, it was a knee injury that then turned into osteomyelitis. Uh, so basically a, an eating up of the bone. That's not for the faint hearted. So how did you deal with pain? Literally physical pain. So it was in the 70s and they would do these injections into my left knee. And the, the injections were just so painful. They were antibiotics. Hmm. And they would go in there and it was just, and my, my leg was a bunch of pus. And so pain right there was just so, uh, I remember the doctor thinking, man, you're strong. You're, you're trying to build me up. Maybe he says, you're not even crying and things, but that I just, it was just pain. And so I guess, you know, that painful event that helped me, uh, become resilient because a kid just learns that that's the way sometimes life is. So, uh, 
So I became very resilient on pain. And as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll accidentally cut myself or hurt myself. And I don't know it at the time. And I look back and I said, how in the world did I cut myself or bruise myself? I don't know. But um, yeah, hmm. it's, those things even happen today. I don't know if it's because of so many things in the past or not. But yeah. Yeah. Intriguing. So, okay. Against all odds, you ended up in the National Guard. And how did that journey go? Um, were there people who mentored you? Were there people, how was the attitude there? Was it, was it uh, the, the classic drill sergeant and uh, ripping you apart, building you up? Or was it actually a different uh, weekend warrior kind of community? So the, the basic training was active duty, basic training army for three months mm -hmm. in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. That was hell. Now, that's where you get certified as to be a soldier, a bona fide soldier. I'm going to tell you about that experience where I almost got kicked out. But the National Guard is a weekend warrior event. It's one week in a month, mostly just drinking beer, hanging out, bullshitting, you know, not a whole lot of nothing going on other than two weeks in the year. But the, 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 uh, the active duty basic training in 1983, they wanted to kick me out because I was not able to drink the water that was coming out of the damn fire hose. It was coming out too fast. I wasn't, I wasn't really getting all the instructions and I, my inspections were really messed up. My helmet might be to the side. I, maybe I, had, I didn't shave or just little odds and ends. And, and this does this story really does not happen. I can't recreate that. There's, I've asked and I've asked, but what they did was They said they send the, sir, the sorriest two privates, me and another guy, huh. over to a criminal correctional facility, which is a military brig. And it, they were wanting to do it to get us scared straight or go through a program. At the time, I thought I was getting kicked out of the military because I right. just didn't adapt that well. But he says, you're going to CCF. That's where criminals are at. We were, we were not criminals. But they the criminals get processed out of this facility uh, and get out of the army, and they have to do very bad things. But they had a program just to try to scare straight. So we made big rocks into small rocks. We climbed around on the hot rocks. Uh, we, we just did a ton. It was a different level of hell where we, we came out of there. It was only about four-hour exercise, but it was total hell on wheels. We come out basically with all of our uniforms all bloodied up, our hands bloodied up, our arms and knees, and there's holes in our uniforms. Our uniforms are ruined. We were guinea pigs for the platoon to say, here's the sorriest two people. And if you don't get your act together, you're going to look like them. <laughs> This thing does not, does not happen. It, it was probably just some sort of a drug deal with the drill sergeants at that time. That sort of wire made me pretty wired tight. And I, 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 I sort of, I, I, he didn't break me. He, he sort of made me and he started working. A little, he, I just did the best I could. And um, eventually uh, I, I did, ba I did uh, graduate basic training. It was the movie Full Metal Jacket, basically, if you've seen that movie. That is the entire setup of it, the screaming, the yelling. It was more... It was more like a Marine type of a basic training, even though it was Army. Mm. We could come out of there and it was, we talk about it. I know all these old soldiers talk about, well, what I did this, but this truly was, I mean, without a doubt, one of the most difficult, I, yeah, they strip you down, they strip you down, 
naked as far as you're a civilian. They strip you everything you got, and then they build you back up. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that the survivor in you didn't really like that too much. The survivor was was ready to kick ass, but how did you deal with that conflict? I mean, this must have been, you must was, have wanted to rebel like big time. I was too scared to rebel and there's no way out. As long as <laughs> I could see that there was no way out of this situation. Even. Okay. I mean, other than I, mean, I wasn't going to quit and I yeah. couldn't, I did get in a fight in the barracks. There was something, you know, sleep and food are very, very precious things. And during this time, someone was goofing off and woke me up acting like he was the drill sergeant. And I just went and when I saw that he wasn't the drill sergeant, I just beat him up. (laughs) People had to take me off of him. Uh, So I I kicked his ass because, you know, food and sleep was very precious. And um, when you're in, and, and what we were doing, we didn't miss home. We didn't miss much of anything. We didn't miss... There was no time to miss anything. We were too busy all the time. And it was just like, wow, even on Sundays. I mean, there was no day off that I remember. Mm. We just kept work. We woke up at four in the morning. And then before we did physical fitness, we were out there doing chores in the yard and things with our flashlights because it was dark. And then by the time we get done with our training, and eating, it's probably nine or 10 o'clock at night. We're exhausted. You prepare a little, and then you go to sleep around 11 o'clock or so, maybe 1030 if you're lucky. But then you're back up. We're young. We're, most of us are teenagers, and we're not getting our sleep really well as well, you know, so yeah. <clears throat> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, again, there is there is nothing romantic about that. But you got through it, and uh, then what happened thereafter? So I come back to high school. I complete high school uh, because I'm a, I'm a soldier in high school uh, because I had failed the first grade. And so uh, I come back with a shaved head and everybody's looking at me in the 12th grade. Wow, look at you. Well, this was the 80s was the big hair, all the big hair things. And so I uh, come back to, uh, the, to South Carolina um, and I go to school and I graduate school, but I had a different attitude. I had changed. There was something that snapped in me that changed me and everybody saw it. I became more focused in a way, uh, uh, became more steely-eyed. I became more, um, I, this is, I am going to go to college. I, the experts say I can't go to college, but I am going to college because <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I can do something and yeah. I just don't know what it is. So I, I did, I went, I did, I went to a junior college, not a reputable college to, to, for the idea of transferring into a reputable college, but yeah. no, that's where it goes on from there. Okay. Well, first of all, to get into college with a learning disability, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> hang on, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Even okay. even if it is a pretend college, they still try, try to to weed out people like you. So come on. Yeah. Now going into a junior college, this college didn't care about your entrance exams. They didn't care about your uh, test scores because I know they the, that's the only reason. So they would take anybody who was lame, lazy, or crazy. They would just anybody. You know, you <laughs> if you've got a scholar, I had a Montgomery GI Bill scholarship. Well, I said, uh, well, I said. And I said and somebody says you can go here. This is a, this is basically a another high school at an advanced level, and I took it slower. I didn't study engineering. I studied education, 
and I went slower than other folks, and it was a more uh, easier type of a college, I guess you could think. Huh. And, but, and then, uh, and then I just took it slow, and I, I, I started passing. I, I started to, I, I, I watched a. I found something on the television called uh, there's a tape on how to study. I didn't even know how to study. Uh, and it was called where there's a will, there's an A and uh, like the letter A. And I said, this is how I'm going to study. I'm going to use tape recorders. I, uh, I had jobs where, uh, where I could study on the job, like a security job. And uh, so I, I started to strict. I have an entire chapter of how <laughs> a learning disabled person at that time. I, I, I didn't, now they have special conditions and things for folks who are have learning disabilities. At that time, I don't know if they did, uh, but I, I didn't. I didn't know about it, and I didn't use it. I just went through the normal procedures of like everybody else. And so I, I developed strategies, I guess, on how to study and how to, uh, yeah, and how to pass tests and so forth. Yeah. And I think that is then what shines throughout the whole book. Um, you would take every, you figured out what worked for you. And then you would apply it to every little situation that was in future to come. And that is, that was so intriguing to me. Um, and it was not easy for you because it actually meant incredible amount of work. The tenacity that you developed and that you showed subsequently, I think that was what was shining through through the the, the book because there you were in many 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 situations that you describe where really you had to learn so much harder, put in so many more hours, often deep into the night, often often in 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 crazy ways. But you persevered with your own way, and I think that was such a powerful thing. So that 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 is what I want so many people to to see, to read, to listen to. That yes, life might have not had might try again. Life might have not given you all the skills and all the the perfect uh, setup. No, but who cares? figure out what works, and then apply it to the situations. Give yes. us some, yes. give us, give us some, some techniques that worked for you. Okay. So when I was reading, when I was reading, sometimes I would change my locations. If I was studying, I wouldn't study on the same place. I would go to different locations, physical locations to study. It could be in the car. It could be in a restaurant. Even if you're sipping on some like some tea or you're drinking some coffee or putting something in your mouth, you're using taste and you're reading and studying. You've got the eyes and you've got the taste that's going into your brain. And if you touch the paper while you're looking at it, then you've got a physical touch. And, <laughs> and, 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 and so I learned that the animal, the taste, the five uh, the senses, they help also to pick up instructions. And uh, you don't want to study that long, study 10 to 15 minutes, walk away and then go somewhere and then come back like five minutes later. And yeah. you're going to have a different thought. Of, and, and so I, I would do that and I would use my senses. And, and also you're hearing, you can talk out loud yeah. or you, and you can use a recorder and then do it all. Matter of fact, eat, <laughs> touch, read, sounds, everything. And that's, that's, that's kind of how I picked up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. And that is so amazing, so important, because we, most of us have not figured out how to learn. Um, 
some of us are maybe a bit more natural in it but uh how to to learn is something that many people don't really actively approach so there you are you were forced to do it and now it has become your superpower it it gave you the really the power were you proud of yourself oh, because that was the, oh yes i was very proud yeah. matter of fact i was more scared of walking into a college than jumping out of a perfectly good airplane it really was <laughs> Because this was a place that I was not supposed to go. Well, exactly. This was a place that mm. I am not supposed to succeed, according mm. to the stores, yeah. even my high And so I just went ahead and did it. And once I graduated, I was like, wow, I was, <laughs> this is, I can do. Now I just, I just proved I got out of basic training. I survived basic training. I got out of college. I can do damn near anything I want to do. Huh. But of course, we're not above the law. We can't yeah. do, we can't just be, I, I, there was a time where I just felt, oh, I can do anything and I can get out of anything. <laughs> which, which you, you, that's a good, it's good to have self-confidence, but not so much like that. <laughs> How did you deal with the bullying? Because there, there is no way that you didn't get uh, into the the crosshairs of some bullies uh, because of your perceived slowness. I, so I stayed away from cliques and people in high school and things of that nature. I had my few friends, but I, I would, I was very quiet. I knew not to say anything much. And I would, I, I, I developed in high school, I developed a little niche. I was in the future farmers of America. I was in agriculture. I found a little clique in that group. There are a bunch of uh, farmers and agriculture, people who do agriculture. Thing. I, that was a vocation. I kind of thought I would be in agriculture when I got out, but um, no, I, I stayed away from the the people who were the elite, <laughs> the people who were the football players and all the all the great. I just stayed. I stayed quiet and I walked the other way. I was with a little small group of people in, in the farmer far, future farmers of America, but no, I didn't have that much building because I kind of just walked the other way. You know, we all get slapped around once or twice, but I don't think it was because of my learning disability. They just had they just had a few bullies there, but. Right. No, I think yeah. So that's yeah, that's how that. Oh, that's actually really, really nice, isn't it? I mean, uh, often enough, uh, life is quite cruel there, and it is the children who were not endowed with survival skills or a survival aptitude attitude that uh, become traumatized by that. So here you are. So at least that was not compounding the challenges. No, it was uh, not. In matter, uh, I was in the average uh, scores, and so I didn't really. I I, I passed, but just <laughs> South the South Carolina is the 49th state in education out of the 50 states. So we're <laughs> at the we're right above Mississippi. <laughs> so I didn't really understand how bad our school system was until I had a daughter and saw her in other states. I said, wow, I didn't learn this for, I don't know anything about this. I don't even think I wrote a paper on anything in the, in high school. I really don't. And so, um, that was, it, it was a, uh, it is a, it is a, a pretty bad educational state. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is though. I mean, yeah. it is, you, you are given the, the circumstances, you're giving the surroundings. It is in those surroundings. That is you, that is your life there. And then you need to succeed. 
And so, and all, wherever you are in this world, there will be unique circumstances and, and you either succeed or not. It's as simple as that. Um, and you actually succeeded. And that is the amazing thing. You, you became uh, a man who is defining himself by his tenacity, by his resilience. And that is, that was, uh, that was quite mind blowing to me. Tell us a bit how it went on because so you didn't become the future farmer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Somehow that didn't materialize. (laughs) No, I, uh, I did study agriculture in college, but I had a foot in agriculture or farming. I had a foot in uh, the military. So eventually I chose the military um, because there just seems to be more. uh, There was a series of events that occurred after I graduated from college where I got fired from two jobs. Um, I had an ROTC scholarship, a Uh reserve scholarship. And so when I got out, my first job was in the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture as a soil conservationist. I was not a farmer, but I was working with the government to advise farmers and the job didn't last for long. I was, um, but I was a reserve soldier still. I was a commissioned officer. Well, the story goes, I went off goofing off in my government truck in a county that wasn't assigned to me. At that time, I, I sped, I speeded all the time and I ran stop signs and red lights and all. That was just normal procedures for me at that time. Well, I ran a one stop sign too often on on government duty in a government truck, and I totaled the truck. Uh, I was broadsided on the my driver's side. I was not wearing a seatbelt, and that's probably what saved me because I went flying away from the crash onto the other side of the passenger side, and that the car was the truck was totaled, and I walked away without a scratch. My supervisor was shocked. Um, He was happy that I was alive and I was too. And he just took note of it. And eventually I was fired from a government job, uh, that job. And then I went off to another job, uh, more closer to home, didn't get along with the supervisor and I was fired from that job. Now I had had a college degree and I was considered a reserve officer in, in the National Guard. And so I've been fired from two civilian jobs and um, I went on unemployment. I had to go on un- unemployment to make to get money. And uh, so <clears throat> eventually, what I was, tr- I had an obligation that I conveniently forgot about. Uh, there was an obligation to the military because I had a scholarship, and I was hoping they didn't want me to put me on active duty. That's what I was thinking of. Maybe, maybe they forgot about it. But they called me up, ironically, while I was on unemployment status. And says, "Do you want to? You need to come and fulfill your obligation uh, to, to the service. Uh, do you want to come? This was a full time gig." Yeah. I, and, and, I, and I says, "Hey, yeah, this is a great time to go." Now, I didn't tell him I got fired from two different jobs. I says, "Yeah, let's go." <laughs> and so, and so I went on active duty after a series of events that just didn't work out in civilian life, and that was just ironic, good luck, or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> but one little thing that we that we didn't explore there, I can understand that maybe as a as a, a person with a learning disability, you struggle, you actually um, end up uh, basically as a private uh, in the military. I understand that you actually became an officer. 
<laughs> no, hang on, hang on, hang on. That is, <laughs> how the hell did you sneak in there? <laughs> so, so I was already, so I was a private, I made it up one, two, three, four, uh, one, E1, E2, E3, mm-hmm. or the specialist. I got an ROTC scholarship. Since I did so well at the junior college, they were, gave me a scholarship to Clemson University in South Carolina an ROTC scholarship. I was an ROTC, junior ROTC, which anybody can get into that. But then I went into senior ROTC when I get into my junior and senior year uh, of college. And I got commissioned as a lieutenant. And I went into the National Guard as a lieutenant from a private. Yes. So <laughs> I just, I well, see, RO, the ROTC program was easy, easy, easy for me because I talked about all the basic enlisted training that I had. And so to me, it was easy. Now, um, I, I was still focused and fearful of just the academics and getting the college yeah. degree. And that was my focus. The soldiering stuff of being coming an officer was very, very easy for me just because I had a background. in it. And um, so, but I did graduate uh, the second to the last in my class, <laughs> ROTC <laughs> class, because I was never around. I was never around. I thought it was a waste of time. But I was always around to pick up that monthly paycheck. But no, I was never around for any classes or any labs. So they, the person who graduated last, uh, he, he didn't even speak English. I think he was from Puerto Rico. But I was like, wow, I'm, at least I'm not last. <laughs> so, so, so no, I think anybody can, you know, could, you know, as long as you do what you're told and so forth, you could get your officership. I think it's the commission. So I, I, I would strategize. In other words, how do I get out of all these classes that I think are stupid? So I would strategize. That's considered an elective, and I, the, the core academics I would I would conveniently uh, put those in front of those labs or conflict them. I would conveniently conflict them, and therefore I got out of them. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I was I was looking at academics. I said, anybody be, we can I can become a second lieutenant, no problem. It's just getting that college degree is what I need to do. So yeah, our prior I, I, it was prioritization with a little strategy. But that is again, that is again, you, uh, that was another trait that I, I, I found intriguing in your book. You knew what you wanted. You knew it was a very goal oriented uh, kind of life you led. You, you knew, okay, I had to, in order to do, to become that person, I had to pass these hurdles. And that is what I need to do, the absolute minimum um, to achieve that. So you focused on doing the basics very well uh, or well enough. Okay. So to actually get through that um, and you succeeded once you had your ticket, once you had the title, once you had those stripes, who cares? And I think that is the other thing that sometimes people forget. We try to be perfectionists. We try to be out there going for the 120%, the best of the best, the best. Um, And then if we're only the best, we start whipping each other. Oh, God, I failed. And it's just, you didn't have that. So No, not at all. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I didn't think of it that way, but I would say, what do I have to do to get here? And then I would strategize and I'd say, what are the hurdles that I have to get through? Yeah. And even if I wasn't coming in, I, I kind of looked at, you know, we're all going to be a lieutenant. And yeah, so that's, I know how to become a lieutenant. I know, so I kind of knew what to do. And that's kind of exactly, that's how it worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now that you're, that you're an officer, lieutenant, you're actually, you know, looking at leadership. 
you're actually looking at managing other people. Um, yes. Was that a strength of yours or was that actually yes. something that was, uh, again, a challenge? No, it was a second, it was sort of second nature to me. My father was my first leader that I've had. And oh. uh, so I thought, wow, all you have to do is be humble and take care of people. And that was just like second nature. That's what we, that's, I just take care of them. That's like, and a lot of times I would say, I don't know everything. I'm, I don't know this. I'm just trying to help. I mean, so just be honest with them and just tell them, yeah, just, and you follow the, the orders come down to you, you give them to the sergeant, and then you take care of any problems that come up. And just, it was just easy for me to be a leader of troops. Um, so don't tell me how to change the spark plug or I'll blow up the car. <laughs> but I, I can definitely, I can definitely take care of the people who take care of the spark plug. <laughs> so that was sort of second nature and sort of easy for me. Yeah. Oh, excellent. But then again, hang on. It's, there are so many, so many uh, traits in you that inevitably are uh, working against each other. So we have got all the, the rebel, the rebel in your youth. You don't just switch that off. Come on. No, I, so, yeah. I, had, I had a rebellious streak in me. I had a challenging, in other words, I, I kind of pushed the envelope a little bit, a little bit of a, a rogueness about me. Um, I have one example of was when I was a lieutenant and there was a really, really pretty blonde headed girl who was a private and like, whoa, no. I, you know, and this was at a time where there was not a whole lot of women in the military and there was definitely a lot of whole lot of good looking women in the military so so i uh i said wow well you know we're, we're both single and uh she's outside my chain of command but uh i went ahead and dated her and uh word got around uh and so i was brought into the battalion commander's office and he says you are not supposed to be doing this because it's it's a you know it's a problem it's a problem you got to cease he he wrote me an order i was a lieutenant he was a battalion commander he wrote a letter that i will cease and desist with the relationship i was like <laughs> what in the world like how you and so I, I, but i was like it's, oh man i was like but i told him i says in the regulations and he didn't like to hear this <laughs> i said sir in the regulations it says within the chain of command because I don't give a damn about the regulations. I'm the damn commander. You do what the hell I say. Uh, oh, geez. And so I couldn't stay away from the blonde-headed babe. <laughs> so uh, so I learned how to hide it. And uh, and uh, I, I tore up the regular, I tore up his letter, threw it away, and ba basically uh, continued to see her. Uh, my evaluation was totally hosed <laughs> for that year. <laughs> so so but that, that so I had. In a way, I wasn't fired. I was my evaluation was just eliminated in that same year. That's when I lost those two other jobs. So that year was not doing too well. I'd lost two jobs and I'd been hosed by my battalion commander on the evaluation. And I was just really lucky to that called me up, says you need to come on to active duty because of your obligation as a scholarship. Uh, and so uh, a lot of people ask me, well, if you stayed in the National Guard and if you didn't go active duty, what would happen to you? I just, I don't know what would happen to me, but I do know that I didn't have a great reputation there. I know that. So, <laughs> so, so I might've made it to captain. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, where do people, I mean, there were lots of people who fought your pain in the ass. Um, they, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of people in the superiors who were not so impressed with you. Were there people who saw your potential? Were there people who, who yes. took you under your wings? 
Yeah, there was a uh, there was a civilian uh, there was a civilian leader that was in Maryland when I was a captain. He sort of like helped me out. In other words, he would you know he he supported me. I did really really well if I was a commander. I did really really well if I had a if people just didn't micromanage me and I wasn't in yeah. a structure. I, I know that's hard, but there are some jobs that where you can you're allowed for your own creativity. There was a few leaders out there that believed in me. Um, There's civilian and a lot of the civilian, uh, not uniform, but the civilian. It's a large bureaucracy, and there's civilian government leaders that take care of me, or just looked, at, just allowed me to be myself, hmm. which is the big thing, allowing me to be myself. I know that's hard in a, in a structured organization, but hmm. when I did that, I shined. I just did really well. Other places where I was micromanaged, I was, or just. I couldn't really do well. I can't. Yeah. I was I, I was outside of a box type of a thinker, which is not always yeah. good in the military. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Normally, that is sort of a, an oxymoron, <laughs> isn't it? It is. I mean, it's special forces. Yes, that is something that is being being supported there. It is out of the box and individual thinking in the in the more standardized military, the, the, the green military, or however you want to call it. Um, nah, not really, is it? Um, no, not really. But then again, it is, uh, you made it work. You made it work. You made it happen. Um, And again, tenacity and not giving up again, shown through those stories. You stayed in the military for a very long time. So you, Mm -hmm. indeed. So you would have expected that sooner or later you clash with uh, with someone, someone tries to really, there are nasty people out there who do think a lot about, uh, off, who think a lot of themselves. <laughs> and uh, a, a, a person like you who is thinking outside of the box, it becomes a red rag to a bull for these people. There would have been people out there who wanted to destroy you. Oh, How- yes. I, I, I was, uh, there was a huge story where I was thrown under the bus or uh, had a federal investigation. A lot of things happened. When, when I was a senior person, actually, I'd been in for a while. I was a lieutenant colonel and uh, I had a whole series of accomplishments to that point. And, and again, so before I go to that chapter, so when I write this book, you're going to see a brutal type of a honesty with my sins of my life and my failures. Mm. Because when I go to that deep, dark time in my life, which is called third times a charm. I had been to South Korea three, three different times. I call it that South Korea is a station that we go to. A lot of military people there defend the region. I went there as a senior guy the third time. Actually, I'd been in Korea. And uh, so I kind of knew the area really well after so many years being over there in the past. But what my failure was is to understand power politics. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that. I didn't, I mean, I know life is political, but I didn't know that everybody has a little bit of turf, uh, a little bit of a ground that they have, a little bit of space that you don't walk on. I said some things professionally about my job. My strengths were not to do research and publications and things of that. I was in the medical service corps at that Mm -hmm. time, and that's not my strengths. (laughs) And I'm, you know, barely I'm a college person, but I'm better doing other things at the executive level than doing a lot of the nut work that yeah. we talked about that kind of just, I can't 
can't do that. So I want to go to my strengths. And I, I had conversations about that with some people that were powerful and supervisors and other people that were not my supervisors. And they uh, never said anything ever about a learning disability. I mean, I never had ever. So, but they didn't like that. And I found myself under two different, more than two, in just a period of two years under some serious allegations and some serious mm. uh, investigations. Mm. So the first allegation was they put rumors out. So what, what, before I go into that, when, when, when you're a military, a senior person in the military or the government, it's hard to get rid of you. You're pretty much going to stay on the right? <laughs> You've got to have some yeah. wild accusations and things to, they call it passing the trash or to get them out of there or to even maybe possibly just get, try to fire them. That would be very, very, you'd have to kill someone almost to be fired from the military. Or, but so the first allegation was that I was a pedophile. I was on post as a pedophile. My daughter goes to school at the elementary school. I would go to the elementary school, eat lunch with her. I was a very playful, outgoing father, enjoyed fatherhood very, very much. But they started to stir up some rumors on the base that I was a pedophile. And that was bad. Well, that nothing ever happened. That went away. I did get looks and angry looks and things of that nature with the rumor mill. Once that did, nothing happened there. Then I went under more serious allegations, actual federal investigation, that I was a spy. So I went from a pedophile to a spy within a year and a half. So with, with the spying activity, the allegations were that I was. So what happens with this one, the federal investigation, is they have hotlines out where it could be you have a suspicion that someone's a criminal or a sexual deviancy or maybe a suicide watch or something that so they got these hotlines. They sent some allegations in there that not being a pedophile, but I was actually a spy. I was passing on information to other authorities uh, yeah. in the, in the, in outside, outside the gates and things of that nature. So I was brought in. So this was more formal instead of just rumor and uh, went up to the Dragon Hill Lodge and Yongsan Army Garrison. And I faced the wind. I had, criminal investigation division, military intelligence, two sets of these folks. One was in my commander's office and he's, you know, of course he's a full colonel. One was in my, well, not my office, but another office. They were, we were be, being briefed by both CID and MI on the, on the allegations that I was facing now being passing on information and things of that nature. I was like, Oh, I, I you know, I said, well, I thought it was because I thought it was going to be about pedophile stuff, but no, it was about being a spy. So I said, all right, I, said, I know I have you done anything? Have you done anything like passing on information to other people outside the gates, things of that nature? I says, no, no, I have not. I have not done that. This is a bunch of bullshit. He says, well, it's your right. If you want a defense attorney, you can, mm -hmm. but we're going to, we're looking at this. We're looking at, looking at you. And I said, yes, I want a damn defense attorney. And so I went and got a defense attorney and talked to him and he says, well, what's going on? He wanted to know what I was doing. I says, I'm not doing a damn thing. Mm. He says, if you're not doing anything, they, got, they ain't got nothing on you. But their job is to follow through with an investigation. So mm. Mm. you're going to be watched. You're going to be looked around. You're going to be watched. You might be monitored, uh, activity, everything. And they did. And so I was monitored with false information that I was uh, leaking information off to uh, other, other foreign nationals, wherever mm. they are at, mm. outside the gate. And so... Boom cameras, weird telephone calls, computer crashes, 
just weird stuff that went on over there. <laughs> nothing, nothing ever happened. And uh, that's really what no one ever come to me after that. It was over about a year and a half to two years. No, no one come and said, Hey, we're sorry. This was a bunch of bullshit. It just, mm. it just goes away. It's considered secret. It's considered very uh, sensitive mm. secret, but the people that, but word does get out and people hire in your organization hear about it. And so I can only imagine what my people who, you know, they, they place you, the higher people, the, the consultants. And the, I can only imagine, oh, he was a pedophile. Oh, now he's a spy. Mm. Oh, wow. And so I'm wondering what they're doing. They didn't know what really to do with me. So sure. I was, my name was mud just by the rumor mill that was going around. So mm. that was a deep, dark time. Mm. Yeah. And it is, it is hard because in your book, you described uh, the, interpersonal friction between um a particular um more or less colleague you have to say um yes. who uh who felt very much well tread upon his toes um who was i mean you were an entomologist at that time you were a, a sort of a a buck person uh if if for the, the lack of a better word uh in, in a nicest way um so but uh, yeah, you certainly were not interested in in some beautiful butterflies somewhere and writing a bit <laughs> a bit of a, a report about that or a study about that. You were far more practical and and to a man who uh, to your colleague who was clearly an academic and who was living and breathing studies and and, and writing. You were mm, okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, and if they knew, and he was he was totally correct. Uh, when he said your writing is worthless i mean he didn't like the emails that i sent out probably just didn't like this is a second class type of a scientist and you know and, and also that's his baby he had been there for years he's developed this sort of a apocalypse type of version of his self there as the main and he was i'll give him credit that he was very smart in his area of research of diseases very well very well published that's a doctor's degree. He's got all the background. He's world renowned. And not, so I'll give him that credit. Um, but everybody's got their little space. And if you don't walk the walk, and I didn't walk the walk, then then you're out of the club. You're he mm. took that as a personal, he took it as a personal. I didn't, it wasn't we just have different strengths and we have different weaknesses and things. And so, but if you're not with him, that means. Mm. He felt that you're against him, and I, I wasn't against that guy. Mm -hmm. What I just have a different walk. I felt that I could do different things, maybe not in that area with him. Mm -hmm. And you know, also I just personally just didn't get along with him. He was mm -hmm. a workaholic, and I had a family, and mm -hmm. he, he he lived for work, and I I lived really just to do the time and you know play <laughs> and do whatever. You know? so, yeah. <laughs> exactly, and I think that that shows so it was it was actually very intriguing to read now two years of such pressure can break a man um oh, yeah how yeah. how did you not break oh that was tough i had to hold on to family uh really well uh talk to my wife I told her that you know i thought i was getting kicked out i thought uh. eventually i was going to something was going to happen because they yeah. even threatened, they even threatened me that, that there would be a board of inquiry on all my activities. And I thought that I may, but 
So I, I did go to a, seek a mental health uh, counselor at that time, which was not popular. Uh, and I just, just did not talk to the chaplain and try to get some other insights. But when mm -hmm. you're in a survival state, your mind is racing and you can't really, you can't really understand, you don't really understand what's going on. You can't think logically because you're in such a state of anxiety that um, you're in paranoia and, yeah. and a par you can't really get your hands around things and you don't really don't you don't know who to trust um i yeah. was eventually put into a different job which was kind of a blessing there uh on the same base but get away from that office but no i was in fear uh, a great deal of time i was yeah. in a little paranoia and it did it did a number on me there's no doubt that that's probably where my post-traumatic stress started uh, right there oh exactly i mean this is a trauma this is basically you've worked so hard you've worked you worked harder than probably many others because of your learning disabilities because of of your need for strategizing your need for thinking outside of the box putting the extra hour in so to have all that ripped away from you due to some interpersonal friction due to some professional jealousy I mean, that's brutal. That's brutal. And brutal. Yeah. I call it, you could, you could have called that chapter called The Enemy Within. We are our worst enemy, or the people, you know, it, it, the Taliban. I mean, I mean, no, it was, it was the Popes. It was, uh, and I was more, yeah, I was a fearful about, you know, like I said, I, I avoided clicks and, or, and things of that nature when I was growing up. And I, 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 could, I could tell when I went in there. I, you know, I, you look back sometimes wondering how you could avoid it, but I, when I walked into that third, I could feel before I did anything wrong, before I, I could, I walked in and I could tell just like an animal does, they can tell something's wrong. I could tell people how they, they hold their mouth, how they walk, how they talk, the, 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 the awkwardness. I could just tell that something was going to probably happen. It's just, I can't, I couldn't put my fingers on it. That's what, that all, I says, I know, oh my God. I, I, I saw the power play and I saw the influence that the personal person that I eventually yeah. had to talk to. So I, you could just tell something. I guess it was a, like, it's like ESP. It's like, I know uh, something's going to uh, happen, yeah. but I just don't know what it is. And it's going to be with me somehow. <laughs> so, and you know, so that's just what I thought, you know. And that's that's exactly what happened. Hmm. That's exactly what happened. What happened thereafter? How did you get out of that? How did you rebuild yourself? How did hmm. you? I mean, there would have been now so much self doubt, so much, so much, ah, uh, watching really? your back. The, the, yeah, the the PTS that you describe is beautiful. You would have watched your back. You would have every single thing that goes a bit funny. You think, oh. Oh, there is another another thing. So you you see what you want to see, but that is yes. a very very unhealthy and a very self destroying situation. Well, it was tough. I mean, I developed uh, eyes in the back of my head. Exactly. Um, yes, I felt there was the feelings were of guilt. The worst. I understand the fear of anger, and I understand the fear of you know having paranoia. Yeah. But then I felt guilty. I felt that I'd done something wrong. And I'm huh. thinking, how in the world can that be? And this yeah. is really, also I'm feeling betrayed by my own organization. The only yeah. organ, granted I had problems, but 
here's an organization where apparently I'm succeeding at. Now they're going to throw me out. It's like throwing you out of a family. And so I felt betrayed by the own own people. And uh, so those feelings were there. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, what happened? I had, I eventually just moved. We eventually, I did my tour there. And then I moved to another assignment back in the United States. At that time, my dad, I had a, I had a one, I had a second punch right after that, which was my dad was dying. And so he was in the hospital dying. And I, at the same time that he was dying, they said, let's just send you to Afghanistan. And I was going to command troops over there. So my dad died and I'm in the process of getting some troops over to Afghanistan and, and, and basically go to a war zone. My father's death also hit me hard, very, very hard, the grief. I had, I had sucked up that in federal investigation, just sucked it up through just, I don't know, it was just tough. But I, I, it was still hanging with me, and it did hang with me for a while. Mm. At the time, I went to my dad's death, and then, oh, by the way, you've got to actually go to Afghanistan. And I thought, you know, but these were a series of events that were like a one, two, three punch. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the biggest punch was federal investigation. People always die there, but it's still hard. That's going on. So it hit me pretty hard there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad did know about that investigation. He did. I did talk to him about what was going on before he died. And he, he and, and so, um, so he was with me. He, he was one of my counselors as well, as far as just talking about things. Mm-hmm. And then, he dies and I'm going to Afghanistan. Now, Afghanistan war was just a minor aggravation. In many ways, it was a way to escape out of there, but I hadn't, I couldn't really, my processing ability was low and it just became lower and lower. And when I went into the, I could have declared mental health with the U.S. Army and gotten out of Afghanistan. That's mm. how bad it was. I could have easily have gotten somebody to say, let's take this, not because I was going to be a commander of troops in a war zone. And I had, I had all kinds of these, but I, I went ahead and picked myself up and decided this might be a redemption. Maybe this is a way I can prove to them mm. that I, there's nothing. And so my security clearance was challenged and it was given to me. There was nothing there. I went off to command uh, in a war zone, but I had a low processing ability. I told my troops that I'm not thinking right because my dad died, which is true. Mm. I didn't tell them about the federal investigation. Mm. And I just had them. I said, you know, there's a lot of things. I'm going to get you trained up. But once you get out here, you're really going to have to make a whole lot of decisions on your own without Mm. my guidance because I'm going to have to trust you. I'm going to have to trust that you're going to do the right thing. Because of my ability just to just put Mm. one foot in front of the next was really, really low. Matter of fact, I kind of had a death wish when I was in the war because it just get me out, you know, when the bombs come in, I'm thinking, you know, just take me out. I'll go see my father maybe and, you know, just take me out. And I wasn't really scared. That's, this is not good to be, it's good to be scared. But in the war zone, I wasn't scared. I was kind of like, I had a death wish. Come on, I'm I'm ready. And so instead of running out of the tent when the incoming rounds came in, I would just walked out. I was the last one walking out to go into the, the bunker. Like, well, whatever. I mean, like, so they say, sir, you need to, you need to run. You don't need to walk. So, so that was, but I was like, yeah, get me out of my pain. So that's kind of what my thoughts were over there. So, yeah. Were these conscious thoughts or were these? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, they okay. were conscious thoughts. I was I was thinking I had a death wish. I'm, I was praying not to be maimed, but to be killed. And so there was not a really boom, 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 or blow up, whatever, let me go too. Uh, kind of like that. I had that type of thought process, conscious, very conscious. Still still grieving my father over there. And I'm I'm also like really fed up with that. I was really thinking and trying to process in that and an investigation. Mm-hmm. And so Afghanistan was sort of like whatever, I don't care anymore. But we did we did we did very, very well. Um, ironically, my soldiers did really well. I had trained, we had trained them up before we had a series of events and training. And I had some pretty good soldiers that I would say 90% did very, very well, which of course t- they took care of me and I took care of them the best I could. I was pro- they were probably taking care of me more than I'm taking care of them. Yeah. <laughs> but that is the sign of a good leader as well, because a good leader knows his limitations and a good leader communicates with his team um, and says, Hey, I'm today. I'm not in my best. And I think that is, that is, the one thing that I'm really, really proud of in my leadership skills is that I established um, this kind of honesty and transparency uh, in in my surroundings. So the um, I'm I'm every time that someone opens up to me and says, "Hey, look, I really have got it at the moment. I'm going for shit times, or I haven't slept for a week because the baby was crying, or something like that." Hey can you look out for me? Um, that's, I see that as a, as a huge sign of trust. And that is really, I think, where a good leader excels, um, to understand that we are not 100%, that there will always be shit happening, and that you can simply cannot be 100% on task 100% of the time. If you try to do that, you're, you're absolute setting yourself up to fail. And if you then have got a tendency to self-flagellate and, and to 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 drown yourself in shame and guilt, well, then the next time that is happening, you're so full of shame or guilt that you actually try to to escape your reality. Was there ever a time that, that you tried to escape your reality? Um, I mean, how did alcohol play into your into your life? Oh, I'd always been a drinker. Well, I still drink. Mostly it's on the weekends. But um, at that time, when I was going through that federal investigation, I was drinking every day mm. and I would drink into excess to go to sleep. Mm. And, but I'd always get up in the morning and still do physical fitness. I was never, never, even when I was drinking every day, it never got to the point where there was alcohol coming out of my skin in the mornings or there was someone complaining. Mm. In the, I still got, my, I still able to do physical fitness and things of that nature. Mm. Now, of course, when I went to Afghanistan, there was no alcohol at all. Mm. So everybody was dry over there that yeah. I knew of. They were all dry. But um, no, then I, I come back from Afghanistan. Ooh, I did drink and then I, then I went back to weekends. And then, so I had to go through a whole series of counseling sessions pretty much having to do with just the PTSD. Now, by, by accident, what I found that helped me out, and um, I got on an elliptical a machine that goes left, right, <laughs> left, and I allowed my emotions to come through. And uh, if I, I would look at photographs in my mind of all the bad and the good, and I would laugh, and I would cry, and I got mad, and I allowed that to come through in an exercise way. Beautiful. 
And I found that it was like using the bathroom, uh, going, going to the toilet. And uh, that helped me out a lot. And Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Truly have a shit. And <laughs> have, have, have a shit of a shit day. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. And of course, you have to say that that again, the way you were teach uh, you were teaching yourself to learn, the the way you were learning, being tactile, using the senses. Again, you actually used your senses. You actually uh, used the exercise um, with imagery, with visualization, um, and and allowed yourself to feel the feelings. Wow! Oh, that's yeah. bloody cool. That is. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, accident. <laughs> Play around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that is you. Yeah. That is you. You were always open in your life to play around to see what works for you because you you figured out okay maybe the, the routine way or the so called right way uh, that that is taught in schools or in in rather leadership forums uh, was not really working for you. Um, here you are. Wow. Okay, what a beautiful thing. So you actually found an alternative to not escape your reality, but reshape it by deal with deal, deal with the emotions, feel the emotions, let them wash over you, um, let them come out, and then allow yourself to move on. Now that is cool shit. That is, I like that a lot. Bloody hell. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, here you are, PTS from... from that um a very dark space but now you found little ways out of actually ah one step at a time one day at a time one hour at a time actually to get yourself better um wow you you can do that a number of ways if, if you don't like the elliptical machine you could walk in the park yeah. and allow your, get alone i feel and get away from the devices and then get in touch with your feelings yeah. and then allow them to be exposed. I feel through exercise or, uh, and just, uh, 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 and you know, you just got to allow it. And then a lot of people will look at you like you're crazy if you're in the yeah. gym doing it, which yeah. I've done that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, they know that they should know that you're going, you know, so yes. And if you're crying, and that takes a while, it takes, but I just explored that. I found these photographs like, boom, 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 boom. Photographs everywhere. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. But it was a, it was a hell of an experience. So I said, like, uh, wow, this is working. This is working here. I'm going to keep doing it every day. I want to do it every day. This feels good. Excellent. So, uh, so. <laughs> well, uh, for the lack of, uh, for the lack of a better word, a good exorcism. There. <laughs> oh, no, that's cool. That's absolutely cool. Because, I mean, the, as part of the PTS, uh, flashbacks, I mean, the, the things when, when you felt really bad, um, what was your physical reaction to these kind of flashbacks? What oh, was... Well, it's like, it's like you get locked up. Oh, oh that's you, right. You, like, then you like, you, you, you start shaking, you start right, your mind starts racing. It seems like some of the body is hurting. And uh. um, then you, then you have, then sometimes you just go into, okay, I got to get rid of these. I want to daydream about killing them. I have fantasies of killing and maiming some of these people. And I'd say, wow. Oh, and that would go on and I would get excited. And I would be, I have all these visions and I, uh, of what to do and how to do it and what to right. do. It was just, 
I don't know, these, these flashbacks. Now, the book, writing the book was also uh, a way to cathart cathartic behavior. Exactly. Where it, it went to such a point with this book. Uh, I've got it in the testimony of how the book nearly, it nearly killed me because I, normally I exercise, I tell you I like to move around and things, but the thing is with the book, I went into such a drive uh, and I sat down. The key yeah. thing is I, I never sat down so long for such a period of time. And wow. uh, that what that did also under the stress and the flashbacks, I would sit there and look at it and like, and I was sitting for hours trying to think that I could actually do something with the damn book. And, but I was seeing this life out here. All my, I could see the story, how the, my ghostwriter helped me out. And it put me in the hospital. I, I, my blood clots had formed in my lungs and my legs. Oh. I was scheduled to die in the intensive care unit February of 2021. And at the time, they kept asking me if I was a smoker. And I answered the question, no, I've never smoked. I said, I, I smoked cigars in Afghanistan. And like once a week, I'll have a cigar. They said, we're not talking about cigars. We're talking about cigarettes. I said, no, I haven't ever smoked cigarettes. Never smoked cigarettes. So... Well, I didn't know at the time it was the book, but it was the sitting down. It was the behavior of sitting down and not getting up. So we, the obituary, the designated beneficiaries, and mutual, we had to go through end-of-life procedures and talk about the grave and things because we it, it was pretty much well known that I was supposed to die. But my body reacted to the blood thinners and also to the antibiotics because I had developed pneumonia at the time. And, um, and my body came back. I went from the ice, I had the ICU intensive care unit for three days. And these were, they, they had, I was considered a special case. They had the blood doctor, the lung doctor, the every heart doctor, they were all there and they all came together, top notch professionals. And um, they, they pretty much said, no, you're not gonna make it. And, uh, but my body reacted well and they said, hey, looks like you might be able to get out of this ICU if your body keeps doing what it's doing. And I said, okay, great. And uh, I did. I went to another level of care in the hospital. Hmm. And then eventually I was able to get wheelchaired out of the hospital uh, after five days. And, um, and it really, the, everybody asked me, you're physically fit. How did you get in here? I said, hmm. I don't know. And then, then, then when I got out of there, they're like, the doctors were surprised. Like, how in the world did this happen? And they're like, they, they looked at me as a trophy. We saved his life. And so, uh, but <laughs> they, they, hey, you're cool. But uh, no, I was like, but no, that was a hell of an experience. And it was because of this sitting down. Now I, I'm sitting down now, but normally I stand up at a table, but I am taking blood thinners now. So I don't see this happening again. Uh, right, no, brother, so. brother, brother, let's be, let's be a bit clearer there. Let's be a bit clearer. You, the sitting down is one thing. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've been sitting down many a times. I mean, flying to Afghanistan, you would have been sitting for hours and hours and hours in that bloody C-130, um, or if you're lucky in, in a more commercial flight, but you know, you're sitting for hours. So that is not the issue. The issue is that you, you switched in a complete fight and flight mode there was this this kind of of uh changes going in the waves of adrenaline the waves of noradrenaline of the cortisol there are so many changes that we see as a fight and flight that we see typically in the in the time around surgery around trauma physical trauma when when there's something happening in the body the body tries to heal and as part of the healing he tries not to bleed out so he tries to to get super effective with the clotting 
And that is where you came in. So you had basically, you created trauma by writing the book. You created a physical state in your body that was similar to you, your body being under attack. Um, and it defended itself. And unfortunately, as, as part of that, seeing that happening, that is that is what set you up there. Um, bloody hell. Bloody hell. <laughs> yes, it was. I, I, I told my writer, this damn thing is going to kill me. I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to live. Yeah. I'm going to I'm pretty much going to die. I want you to continue. Just it'll make me more peaceful death if you just promise me that you will carry out my task of my book. And he says, no, 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 you're going to live. I said, oh, man. So, so, so that's, uh, so uh, that's, yeah. Again, like, how in the hell did he get out of the hospital? How the hell did he graduate college? And so there's all these little things. How did you do this? How did you do that? So, no, I just kept on, kept on going. Yeah. Why did you write the book? What made you do that, actually? Everyone was asking me, how in the hell did you do this? How, how in the world can someone like you do all you did? Mm. That question was not, if it wasn't told me, my dad says, son, you, su you surprised the hell out of me all the time. And so I was surprising <laughs> everybody. Whether, it could be success was a surprise. It could yeah. be failure and then getting out of the, you know, all yeah. kinds of situations. Yeah. So uh, that's why. And my dad was a storyteller. And so I said, I'm going to follow up with my dad. I'm going to knock two birds out. With okay. I'm going I'm to give my dad a legacy. I'm going to give me a legacy. And I'm going to tell you all these things that happened and uh, in a very funny or a very truthful way. And uh, so I, I like knocking out. I've never been upset. We've all been obsessed. Most men have been obsessed over a woman or something, but I've never been obsessed over a project like a book or anything. I've never, I've never been obsessed over a car yeah, or a house yeah, or a possession. Yeah. I, I became possessed, <laughs> obsessed or whatever with this damn book. <laughs> so, so yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful because I mean that's that's the 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 typical point that you come to you have been a survivor for such a long time and then uh you come to a point that you, you wanted to make sense and you wanted to to actually you know i've gone through all that so is that only just now for me to die or is it actually is there is there not a message there from which other people can learn and I think that is that was what shown through your book. Um, it was the the so many lessons about tenacity, about not giving up, about living your life to the fullest, whatever that means, and however you can do that. Um, if it fits within the expectations of your society, well, that's nice. If it doesn't fit, who the cares? Um, no, you are actually go out there and leave a legacy and that is exactly what you did and that's exactly what you're doing now with you coming onto my show you are helping others to understand that there is hope you're a beacon of hope man um mm -hmm. to a whole strata of society to so many people out there who might think oh my god i come from very poor circumstances i come from um uh you know, I've got a learning disability. Nothing will ever come out of me. I'm going to be a failure. Um, all those kind of things. And in reality, you were saying, yeah, no. Um, okay. No. <laughs> okay. And that is your strength. 
And for that, I commend you that you wrote this book. They're only really of, I mean, I, I must have read, I don't know. I read two books, uh, two books, two books a week, uh, two books a week. Um, and uh, it is, so I read a shitloads of books and there's only two that come to my mind. One is yours, which have been written with such brutal honesty. Because normally every single author wants to show you the good side. Everyone wants to show you the really, hey, this is me, I'm the hero, <laughs> um, okay? Uh, they don't want to talk about their failures. You are brutally honest. And that is, again, leadership. That is, again, beautiful. And it is, it is so timely that, that today you are you're coming onto my show because I needed to hear those words. I needed to to feel this this power that comes from your honesty. Um, that is actually really, really beautiful. Uh, it gives me strength to do what I have to do. And so it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, wow. Thank you very wow, much. Wow, wow. Thank you very much, Tim. Yes. No, your brother, you're you're an amazing man. Um, not I mean, not just because we have got the same hair hairdresser. Uh, but, yeah, no, <laughs> no you you have gone through a lot of very, very interesting times. And your book is, is amazing to read. Um, so where can we find out more about you and about your book? It's on jasonpike.org. Jason pike.org uh 80 soldier you'll just do that jasonpike.org and uh a soldier against all odds <laughs> it's an amazon you'll you can just read the free reviews there a lot of my soldiers left reviews people that knew me uh, reviews on there. You'll, you'll you'll have a lot of fun with the reviews and a lot of people think you should be pissed off at them saying this and i'm not because that's their i was just happy that they gave me a damn review but no a soldier against all odds it's a blue book it'll be in your browser uh, 31 years in uniform. I lived five in five different countries and some countries I can't tell you about. I lived nine years overseas. And so I've seen a whole lot of things, had a whole lot of life's troubles, ups. So yes, like you were saying, Stefan, this is a different memoir than I feel than others. It's set up in a way that gives you the feeling of oh, love, jealousy, uh, hatred, anger, betrayal, yeah. Yeah. all those things I experienced in a life in uniform. For the most part, it was in the life in a uniform of 31 years. And you'll see that. I'll come out as maybe the unheroic character, maybe. Uh, but, you know, so that'll, but how many people that are a senior level will yeah. tell you about how they screw things up? And it, that's why I think this memoir is a little different than most. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And for Jason that, yeah. exactly, yeah. guys. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and the podcast. Uh, Jason's details are down there. Um, I love this book. I think it is a, a fantastic read. So guys, go out there, get yourself a copy of the book and uh, and read it. It will make you cringe. It will make you love it. It might make you cry because it might remember you or remind you of your own uh, failures and maybe some episodes in your life that you're not very proud of. Now, I think that is, that is, that certainly happened to me. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you have got balls the size <laughs> of bloody North, South Carolina to actually write that. Um, but uh, this is, 
it is beautiful to read. So it is very humbling. A hum, I guess humbled is the right word that uh, that your book left me, uh, the right description. Uh, no, it's wonderful. Jason, you're an amazing man. Uh, I can't wait to see what the new Jason will be because you have you have grown you have you have changed over your lifetime so and now that you that you've sort of tasted blood in in writing and and becoming a speaker etc so there will be a new development just waiting around the corner so i can't wait to see where you are going okay <laughs> have you figured out who you want to be when you grow up I'm looking at another book, not as crazy and wild as this book. But it's, more <laughs> of self, it's a self-help book of uh, of how do veterans get their benefits. Nice. I would, I, I've always dreamed that this book could become a movie, a bit, like a for, <laughs> like a Forrest Gump. Now yeah. Forrest Gump. Now he only had a few years in the military, yeah. but um, and he was a successful person. We know that he, I, I'm a little better than Forrest Gump, but we could exaggerate it. In the movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's no, brilliant. Just, that's just sort of a thing I've already thought. I, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to go about it, but that's uh, <laughs> But you don't know who's listening to our show today. You don't know. You don't know. If you're open to the universe, man, um, things happen. And that's just yeah. an amazing thing. Oh, man. Jason, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on my show. Hey, it was wonderful. I enjoyed it. Take care, buddy. <laughs> and you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Okay? Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.